Hello, my beautiful mamas, and welcome back to part two of the prenatal and beyond breastfeeding guide. You're going to hear from Alicia right from the get-go, and she is getting ready to help set you up for the proper latch. So get yourself comfortable enough. You can imagine yourself sitting there for a three-hour movie, okay? (laughs) And you're going to probably have to change that. We talked already about skin to skin and how much that can really calm baby down. You really want to get baby when they're first starting to show you feeding cues, rooting around, putting their hands in their mouth, bobbing their head. If they've been sleeping on your chest, the sooner you can get them there, the less frustrating it will be for both of you. If your baby's frantic, you need to calm them down before they cannot latch on when they're mad and crying. Okay. So that's, that's the next tip. When you are, if you're doing more traditional positioning, or even when you are having the baby on your breast, you want to really try to think about nose to nipple, because what's going to happen is the baby is going to be across from your nipple. And when they go to latch, they automatically, like instinctively, they tilt their head back and they open their mouth really big. And then they kind of come up and over the nipple. Okay. So if you have your baby's mouth at your breast, it, it doesn't really work as well. Okay. And you want an asymmetrical latch. So that basically means that you're aiming your nipple toward the roof of the baby's mouth. It should not be like centered right on top of their tongue. It should actually be like kind of pointing toward their nose. Okay. And this is because this is, this is going to give your baby more of the breast tissue underneath, like at the bottom part of their mouth. And so that will help with the compression and the stimulation of your areola. Okay. Some things that can be helpful for this is doing what I call a breast sandwich. (laughs) So if you have ever eaten a big sandwich, you don't just open your mouth and put it all in. You usually like squeeze it down to as much as you can. And then you will open your mouth and you kind of put the bottom bun on first and then you kind of roll it into your mouth. And that's kind of the motion. If you can think about it, I mean, that's, that can kind of come a little bit later. And it actually too, like helps the baby get more of the breast in your mouth. Like if a lot of moms will just let their baby go on and there's not really anything necessarily wrong with that, but to ensure a deeper latch, if you can compress it, you're going to actually get the baby to get a lot more milk. I mean, a lot more of the breast in their mouth. I usually try to encourage moms, like it all depends on how big your areola is, but for most moms, they have a larger areola. And so you can put your top, your thumb kind of where your skin and your areola come together. And that gives your baby more room at the top. Okay. And then those bottom fingers, they really have to be far back because when you compress it, if your fingers are not far enough back, they're going to get in the baby's way of getting a deep latch. Okay. So I have videos of some of this stuff for you guys. Yeah. It'd be so much easier to see, to see it in action for sure. The other thing is like hand placement on the baby's head. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I mean, this might be hard to describe. If you're holding your baby in a more traditional position, like I really am a big fan of cross cradle for learning latch. Okay. Because we, as moms have a lot more control. I would prefer you try laid back breastfeeding. You can do the nipple sandwich with laid back. You know, you were leaning back and you're just holding your breasts like compressed so that the baby can get a better latch when they do go over there. But with more traditional cross cradle, you want to tuck the baby's bottom like really snug into where the elbow of your um, your arm that you're holding the baby with. And you're actually going to hold the baby with the opposite hand 
the opposite side hand than you would your breast that you're going to feed on. So if you're feeding on your left breast, you're holding the baby with your right arm. And so you can, you can put the baby's bottom kind of right at the corner of your elbow where your elbow is, and you want to tuck it in really tight. And then you are holding your baby's head. You want to have your thumb and your middle finger on the baby's ears. And then the bottom part of your hand that makes a U that actually goes at the base of the baby's head, like on their neck. Almost like right at the bottom of the hairline, right? Yeah. yeah. You can kind of feel that bottom of the, the skull kind of yeah. right there. So when you do this and you've got your left hand is using, doing the nipple sandwich, and then you have the baby in the right hand. What makes this so magical is that you can move, you can move the baby. Okay. You don't have to move your breasts to the baby. Yeah. <laughs> You're moving the baby, right? And that makes it so much easier. And so you're going to put the baby nose to nipple. You're going to wait until they open really big and wide. A yawn. Okay. Not just like a half, halfway, you know, open. If you can't get baby to open, you can sometimes like touch their nose and take your nipple touching your nose and like pull it down to where their lip is. Or you can rub your nipple against the top of their lip back and forth. And those are things that usually make them kind of open. So the next part is the hardest part because you have to get the timing right. The baby's going to open their mouth really big, like a yawn for about half a second. <laughs> and in that half a second, you have to have your breasts ready with the nipple sandwich. And then when they open really big, you pull them close. That's what you really need to know at the beginning. Okay. But as you're getting latch on and like you're trying over and over and you get a little bit better about getting the timing right, then you can work on some other things. Like when the baby goes nose to nipple, what's really important too is that their face is aiming up at your breast, which means that their neck is like extended a little bit. If if you don't have good positioning, the baby's like got their chin on their chest trying to swallow, try yeah. it. It doesn't, it's not very easy and you're not going to be able to swallow as much. So yeah. that's another reason, but to do this, but you can also use the part of your hand underneath the baby's head to put a little pressure on their shoulders while they're going to latch. And that extends their neck a lot too. Makes sense. Okay. So that's, that's the basics of all of that. That was really good. It, it sounds pretty dull. I've done this a few times yes. over the phone. <laughs> um, but that's the, the basic stuff when it comes to that. And, and so then, you know, if you're not getting a good latch, I usually encourage moms to hold the nipple sandwich until the baby's like really sucking really well. Yeah. So for maybe like about the time that it would take for the pain to kind of, or the discomfort to kind of go away. And then when they're sucking and swallowing, then you can kind of let go. And then you can kind of move your arm around into like a more traditional cradle hold. Yeah. Now, if your baby comes off every time you do that, that's a really good indication that you don't have a deep enough latch. And you also want to kind of look at what your nipple looks like when it comes out of your baby's mouth. It should look rounded like it did when it went in. Sometimes babies will make a line in the middle of your nipple, we call that a compression stripe, which means that basically it's like being squished between two hard things. <laughs> and that is not what you want to see. And you also don't want your nipple to look like a new tube of lipstick where it's like slanted on one side. Okay. Sarah's shaking her I head. Like it. very yeah. familiar. Even if you're not having pain and you see those, you maybe want to try to like work on getting a deeper latch. Okay. If I forget anything. What about signs that the baby is, is okay. getting milk? Yeah. You should see at the beginning, it's normal to see like short, fast sucks. This is when they're kind of 
telling your nipple and your areola, like it's giving the baby's giving it signal and says, Hey, I'm at the breast. It's time to let the milk kind of flow with the letdown. Everybody's a little bit different with the letdown. Some moms don't know what that is, but typically after the baby's been sucking at the breast in those short, fast sucks for about 30 seconds to a minute, it gives the hormone release. And basically there's all these ducts that go from the milk glands that make the milk to the nipple. They all kind of, kind of like a cluster of grapes. If you think about it, okay, you have milk glands are the grapes and then the vine, it all kind of goes to one stem. And so that is the nipple, but there's multiple pathways as we've already talked about. And so it actually causes a muscle contraction in the milk ducts that squeezes the milk and then pushes it all out toward, toward the nipple. Okay. So some moms will feel like a tingly feeling. Sometimes um, moms might not feel it at all and that's okay. Other things that you will notice that happen you will feel, especially early postpartum, you're going to feel some uterine contractions, which I did not like. And the more babies you have, the more intense they get. You also will feel really thirsty. I never felt so thirsty in my whole entire life. Sarah's picking up her water bottle to have a drink <laughs> as when after I first had my babies. And then the other thing that you're going to feel is really sleepy. And these are the, these are the side effects of the hormone called oxytocin, which is the same hormone that causes the uterine contractions in labor. And so, um, this is really good because the uterine contractions are like getting your uterus back to pre-pregnancy size and helping decrease your bleeding and all the other things. I mean, if you're sleepy, then when you're done with feeding, <laughs> take a nap, which you really need to have naps yeah. a lot, yeah. you know, those early postpartum partum days. And so when you're looking for swallowing after the initial short fast, you should start to see like a couple sucks and then a, like a pause. And usually when you see the pause, you're going to have, you're going to see the babies when they have the pause, you're going to see their jaw drop a little bit more than it did when it was doing the sucking you should see their ears moving. You should not see dimples in their cheeks when they're sucking because that use, means they're using like suction, suction versus like the mechanics of breastfeeding. Okay. Let's see. No, You're nor gonna, like just the whole jaw moving up and down pretty much every single time. Right. Like, a yeah, yeah. It should be some drops, like dropping in. Um, when the, the drop happens, that's actually when they're swallowing. That's why you want to see that. And I have a really good video for that too. <laughs> Um, a lot of times you'll hear like a keh sound. So it'll be like, like that sort of sound. Some babies are really loud when they're doing it in the first couple of days. Like when you have colostrum, you're going to probably see like eight to 10 sucks before you hear a swallow and you might not even hear a swallow. Cause it's probably not going to be like a big gulp. And after your more mature milk comes in, it's probably going to be more like two or three sucks. Now in the beginning is when your letdown tends to happen. And so after the letdown is over, you're going to see the sucking pattern change a little bit and the baby might not be transferring as much milk and they're going to just be kind of doing like more fluttering sucking. And then a lot of times moms will have another letdown after a while of doing that. Okay. So that's sometimes too, like when we're talking about setting a time limit, every mom, some mom, it might be 10 minutes. Some moms, it might be 10 minutes before you have another letdown. Some moms it's 15 minutes. You want to do like once the initial letdown is over, that's when you can start doing compressions. That's when you should start doing massage on your breast to help make sure that the baby's getting their breast 
emptied out well. Your breasts should feel softer after you breastfed than they did before. Sometimes moms will hear clicking. It's not a cute thing that they do. It usually is telling you that your babies doesn't have a good deep latch, okay? Or there's something else going on that is keeping them from having a deep latch. Is that clicking okay. like the tongue? I'm trying to think of what the, what yeah, causes so that. like, it's like, they can't, it's like it, it comes, it's like not keeping the suction. If that makes sense. I can hear miles running the halls right now. <laughs> <laughs> I figured that was probably in his, um, in the agenda, <laughs> See the top of his hair, like just going <laughs> past the window. I'm going to try not to talk too loud. So he doesn't get here. That's funny. Um, okay. So, so as we're talking about latch and kind of getting going, I just think it's important that you guys, like we have this realistic expectation of what this is going to look like. You and your baby are both learning new skills. <clears throat> okay. This is not going to be like, it's a marathon. Okay. Not a sprint. Usually the first feeding goes beautifully. And then <laughs> the baby will sleep a pretty long, decent time because think about it from their perspective, birth is exhausting for babies too. Okay. So that would be probably your best opportunity to get a nap, but you won't be able to, because all you're going to do is like Google and Google over your beautiful new baby, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so as you guys are doing this and you're figuring out latch and you're figuring out what, what your goal is each day is to figure out what, what works and what doesn't work. And you're going to hear so many different opinions and mine isn't always perfect for every person. It just always depends. You know, like I try to give moms lots of options when we're dealing with stuff so that she can figure out what works for her and her baby, because there is no magical formula for each mom. And for first time moms, this is really, really hard. And I'm sorry that that's, yeah. that's how it is. But, you know, if one day you figure out Okay. You have a, you have an episode where you're like nursing a nursing session and you figure out like, Hey, this position works really well for us. This position doesn't work well for me. Okay. Next, next feeding, I'm going to try a different position, you know, like, or you try one position for a few feedings and, and if it's not working, then try something else. You're going to figure out like how to hold the baby just right. You know, you're going to have to figure out, you know, that timing of like when they open their mouth and just like, pulling them close quickly in order to get them on their well. And so maybe you might add one good feeding each day. <laughs> I think that that's pretty realistic. And then every day you're going to get a little bit better. Okay. And it's going to go a little bit easier. And one day you're going to finally get to the place where you're like, wow, we didn't struggle with latch today. And like, I didn't have any pain today. And and all of those things, it's probably going to take, like when we talked about your nipples getting used to this baby breastfeeding all the time, I would say for most people, it's at least probably five days before you're not having any of that. And that's probably a good case scenario. But what you're going to notice in the meantime is at the beginning, it's going to be more intense. And after a day, a couple of days, you should notice that the intensity is decreasing and the duration of the discomfort is decreasing too. Okay. There there are babies that have tongue ties and tongue tie is something that can affect breastfeeding in ways that it can cause pain and discomfort for moms. Even when you have worked on latch and you're doing everything perfectly and it also can affect milk transfer. And so if you are noticing that your baby is not gaining weight properly and you feel like things are going well, you probably need to have your baby evaluated for a tongue tie 
there's like tons of Facebook groups about it. Like Indiana has like a tongue and lip tie group and those moms will get on there and share pictures and talk about who the providers are, but you really need to find somebody that is knowledgeable about this. And I will tell you that pediatricians are all over the place with this. Some people are really resistant to say it's a thing. Some people are not when it comes to finding somebody that will do your baby's revision. I would make sure that it is somebody that has done it a lot. A lot of ENTs will do them, but I don't know that they will do them very often. And a lot of times you also need to figure out whether that person feels like it's necessary to sedate a baby to do a tongue tie revision. A lot of providers will not do that. Um, there's a couple of different options and I can give you guys, I don't, I don't know if I have that on my resource list, but we'll, we'll make sure that we get that on okay. there. I feel like there's also like a page. I found it recently that actually has like tongue tie providers, but you want to find somebody that has, like, if you're talking to a lactation consultant, you need to find out if they have done some continuing ed in evaluating tongue, tongue ties. And some people will say like, oh, if your baby can stick out their tongue past their lips, like then they don't have a tongue tie. That's not really true. I mean, some tongue ties will not allow that, but it's, it's not just about it's about tongue range of motion. And the reason that this is important is we remember we talked about letdown. And in the beginning, mom has high oxytocin levels. And after delivery over time, it decreases. And so a lot of times babies that have a tongue tie, I, I've noticed like they do sound like they're swallowing and gulping milk a lot, and then they don't transfer anything. So that is not always the best way to determine that. The other thing is some tongue ties come all the way out to the end of the tongue and they look really, it's really obvious. And posterior ties are farther back under the tongue. They're a little bit harder to see. Sometimes they're even behind a mucosal membrane and you can't even see it unless you're like really in there lifting up the baby's tongue and like evaluating it and knowing what you're doing. So the problem with a baby who has a tongue tie is that their tongue cannot move properly to compress the nipple against the roof of their mouth. Okay. So a lot of these babies will have a high palate because the tongue cannot rest against the roof of the mouth to make it flattened. When they cry, their tongues cannot elevate and they kind of look like a little bit like a stingray in the bottom of their mouth. There are lots of pictures that you can look online for, and it looks different varying on the degree, but but the bottom line is that babies sometimes can do okay gaining weight when a baby has a tongue tie in the first month or so, because they're kind of living off of mom's letdown. But as those oxytocin levels decrease and the letdown is not as powerful, the baby really needs the mechanics of, if you think about like their tongue moves in a wave, right? Like undulation, motion. right? Yeah. yeah. And so when, when they're sucking, they need to be compressing the, the nipple against the roof of the mouth. Just like we talked about the areola, how that's imp important, right? And so if they can't do that, they are not going to be able to remove milk efficiently. Yeah. And so what happens a lot of times is it goes undetected or I, I see moms all the time who like, I feel like they have a tongue, their baby has a tongue tie and they go to the pediatrician and the pediatrician's like, no, the baby doesn't have a tongue tie. And we kind of stop at the end of that. And that's okay. That's totally. And that's the thing. Like some people don't want to do anything about it because yeah. it is like a medical procedure to have it released. Um, a lot of doctors use laser. Some people will cut it. 
it's really important to do like body work along with this. I think we're learning more and more about how important that is, but we, it's up to a parent to do whatever they want. And what I can do is I can just tell you the risks that it causes. It may cause you to not have enough milk supply later on because milk removal is required to have a good milk supply. And if baby is not mechanically able to remove milk, then you may not be able to continue breastfeeding. You may be able to continue pumping. You know, it can look all different kinds of ways, um, but this is really a big topic. And I think that, you know, it's all up to you what you want to do. There's like not tons and tons of research about it. I think a lot of people in lactation are feeling like it's a relatively minor procedure for the benefits of what it could like what it can do for baby and mom to continue breastfeeding. And so, you know, that's a personal decision and you can like get some, some more information, but something else that's super important, like is tummy time with your babies. Like that, what we'll see a lot of times in babies that have a tongue tie is they will have like really um, some, some moms will be like, wow, like my baby has such great head control at three or four or five days. And I'm like, Yeah, it's probably because when you have a tongue tie, all those muscles in your neck and into your shoulders are super tight. Wow. And some babies will have it like all over their body. And so that's why we talk about body work for them, because that can really help loosen up everything and help everything work orally. Okay. Better. And tummy time is a really, really great way to do that because if they're on their tummies, they have to be stretching their neck and turning their heads and those kinds of things, it probably has to be a little bit more intentional and interactive yeah. if your baby has a tongue tie, but it's, it's just something that is really important. Isn't there a sign of their lips? Like if they have a, if there's a tongue tie that they well, have almost like blistering or like a whiting. Yeah. That can happen with any baby that isn't, doesn't have latch a properly. Latch. Okay. Yeah. Because they're just holding on with their lips versus they're gripping. Yeah. They're inside of their mouth. And so, um, Sometimes you will see that it just depends. Um, okay. You know, one thing that we didn't talk about with latch is that your baby's lips should be kind of flanged out like a oh, fish. Yeah. yeah. If you're not having any discomfort, that's okay. I mean, you don't have to really worry about it. It's best, but if moms and babies are fine, <laughs> it's okay. If you are having discomfort with latch after you get that initial latch going and you've had your slow, deep breaths and you're still having pain, check the baby's lips and you can just kind of push up on the cheeks and pull um, down on the chunk. And sometimes that makes a big difference for moms yeah. with discomfort. Yeah. Okay. So back to tongue tie, babies can also have a lip tie. I don't really worry about lip ties so much as tongue ties, as long as baby can get a good flanged lip. I am more concerned about tongue ties usually um, because they affect more the transfer of yeah. the milk. Usually if a baby has um, a lip tie, they will have a tongue tie. Okay. So, you know, when it comes to all babies that are breastfeeding, like we talked about, there are some things that we can do to make sure that they are getting enough. We want to see at least eight to 12 feedings in 24 hours. Sometimes your babies will like, if they're cluster feeding, they're going to nurse more than that. Maybe you, I really encourage moms to do at least every three hours until you've gone to the pediatrician and you know that baby's gaining weight well. Okay. In those early days, diapers are really good indications of usually like babies getting, getting enough. So we should be seeing 
for the first few days, we want to do like one wet and one dirty diaper for how old the baby is. So if the baby's two days old, they should have two wet diapers and two dirty diapers. Okay. You're going to see by day four or five, you really, once your milk starts to come in, you really want to start to see six wet diapers a day, not like little bitty, yeah. little bitty bits, but a good heavy diaper. And then you also want to um, see a transition in the way that the baby's stools look. So at the beginning, it's really dark, tarry, thick, black poo. And then after the baby gets colostrum, it's interesting. Colostrum has a laxative effect, which helps them get the meconium out, which is important because cool. if your baby happens to have jaundice, the way that they remove the jaundice is by pooping. Yeah. So it'll go from dark, tarry to green. And then it'll start to turn yellow and be very seedy. Like it has like little milk curds in it. That's what it means by seedy. I don't know what else to say. And it's very loose. Okay. Like sometimes I get phone calls from moms frantically saying, I think my baby is sick because they have diarrhea. And I'm just like, it won't have germs. Does it smell? (laughs) They're like, no. And I'm like, it's just normal. You should expect like explosions and blowouts with a newborn breastfeeding, unfortunately, but that's normal. So did I miss anything? I don't think so. Okay. So let's talk about, I think co-sleeping, you wanted to talk about that. So is there something that you want to say specifically about sharing? This is always like a a touchy subject. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so I just think that from my perspective and just as a new, you know, having lots of friends that are new moms, I think that this is another one of those things that's kind of in the the preparation side of things of, I think it's really smart of you prenatally to do your research on this and come up with your own, your own thoughts and opinions, not that of somebody else providing impressions for you, because uh, I think that, you know, I think there's a lot more resources and I think information and studies out there than there, there used to be. And so what your mother or your grandmother or somebody else who is, I've had so many friends that are like, if I tell my mom that I'm thinking about co-sleeping, they're going to like be so afraid and, and, and freaking out on me. It has changed. The research has changed a lot. And I love a lot of what Alicia says about like kind of going back to nature and also going back to other cultures and how they do things. And so there are ways that you can, I know you're going to, you're going to work on the wording here and the verbiage, but there are safe ways to co-sleep or bed share and knowing what is not safe and what is safe. And, you know, from my perspective, it was one of those things where Cameron and I had definitely intended to bed share. We had purchased like a snuggle me organic. And I figured, I figured it might be easier with that. Like we would just put the baby, like it would be easier for us to sleep. You know, we can move around and I could just take the baby out and then nurse the baby when I needed to and put the baby back in the, the snuggle me organic or DACA tots or whatever. Um, and quickly, obviously with our, our breastfeeding journey, it was really hard and I was exhausted and I wasn't sleeping. And I found that side lie nursing and, and, mm. and bed sharing with miles was, the only way that either of us got sleep. And you guys, we did this for the first year and it was a, it was a godsend. And I've had so many of my friends who knew moms who had not planned on bed sharing, texting me like really, really exhausted and nervous. Like, did you bed share? Can you tell me about your experience? And me being like, yes, absolutely. I did. Here are a couple of things that you should look at, but it's so much easier if you can look at this prenatally because 
it can give you a lot more rest. And I think that it's good to know really what the, the potential dangers are and risks are when you're maybe not doing it correctly and, and maybe why it's gotten this bad name. So I'll let you take it from there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is always one of those topics that is hard to talk about. Sarah and I talk a lot about when it comes to these kinds of decisions, you have to, you're the only person that can make a decision for yourself and you, for your baby. They're not easy decisions to make. And you have to just say, okay, if I choose to bed chair or not bed chair, if I choose to bed chair, how can I do it in the safest way possible? We just have to look at the evidence. And like you talked about research, like if you're looking at research, why don't, it's important to look at who funded the research. Sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of moms feel like your friends, they don't want to tell people. We're afraid to tell people that we bed chair because of the repercussions. I mean, I feel like it's the same sometimes, like when you're nursing a toddler too, you yeah. kind of go into this closet nursing. I remember when I was bed sharing and people would say, oh, how's the baby sleeping? And I'm like, oh, we sleep pretty good. You know, like I never, I never talked about it. I mean, so one of my favorite persons to listen to talk about this is James McKenna. He's a researcher from South Bend at Notre Dame, and he actually has a sleep lab and he has moms and babies come in and sleep and they observe them and video them. And like, it's so cool. Like how biologically almost all moms do things the exact same way. A lot of times we're like sleep on our sides with our arm kind of protectively, like the baby kind of inside, kind of like you were talking about sideline breastfeeding mm -hmm. position. There are pheromones that are happening. You and your baby are like in these sleep cycles together. It's really fascinating stuff. And so if you ever have there, he does have some books out there. I'm sure that he has a website too, that you can kind of look some more information up, but that's a really great website or a resource to do some of that information gathering that you're going to want to do when it comes to this. So we've already talked about how babies need to be close to mom and that's that's the big thing about this that's so different. Even the AAP really wants moms and babies to be in the same room for quite a long time because they know these these hormones and the baby can like mimic your sleep your your breathing and things like that that that's really important. Bed sharing there's a lot of different terminology. So co-sleeping <laughs> can be in the same room. Bed sharing means you're sharing the same surface. It's not really recommended by most mainstream people to be sleeping in the same bed with your baby. When I left they the hospital, that was one thing that was like one of the very last things that the nurses at the hospital told me was now it's not safe for you to, to, to co-sleep with your baby, to bed share with your baby. It's not safe for you. And, and I, and like I said, this is such a personal decision mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we understand and we want to support all moms and whatever they feel yeah. comfortable doing. But I, I usually just say, we know that a lot of people recommend that you don't do it. But as somebody who works with brand new moms all the time, I see moms like you who are so afraid to sleep with their baby. They're physically and emotionally exhausted because this baby needs to be on them or touching them or all these things. And they just don't have any rest at all because that's the only way that the baby will sleep. So if you don't want a bed chair, you know, you can, you can sleep with the baby on your chest and have dad kind of up and around and like observing you 
But if you're going to bed share, we need to make sure that you're doing it the safest way possible. And I think you're talking about doing, making these decisions ahead of time is really important and thoughtful. You may not decide to do it, but you should know how to do it safely so that when you're at that point where you just are so exhausted and so tired, you already know what you need to do. And so the other risk I think with this is that we tell moms, do not take your baby to your bed. And then we have moms who are so, so tired and exhausted. They're, they're nursing their babies in recliners or on the couch and they accidentally fall asleep. And that is, those are the two most risky places to breastfeed your baby and fall asleep. Okay. And we have to also look at like definitions and how they define these bed sharing deaths, because sometimes it's suffocation versus actually something happening with the baby. Sometimes people, you know, some of the rules are you should not be under the influence of anything, no medications that could make you really drowsy. This goes for you and your bed part. Like if you have somebody else in your bed, you want to have very minimal blanket. You don't want to have blankets. You need a firm surface. So if you have a super squishy mattress, that might not be the way yeah. that you do it. I had a friend who was really totally against bed sharing. <laughs> she kept telling me, like, I'd go for a consultation. She'd be like, oh, we're sleeping in the chair. It's okay. It's okay. And I'm like, you know, that that's not safe, but it's okay. Because, you know, like I'm sitting up and I'm like, no, but I just kind of let it. And after a few times of talking, she finally, but she totally ended up flipping her mattress over. Cause you know, like mattresses aren't yeah. really meant to be made, like slept on on both sides, but it was important enough to her that they didn't have like a super, super comfortable mattress because they needed to be able to sleep and nurse yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So you have to get creative. Sometimes there's always the floor that can be a really great option to make some sort of bed on the floor. You want to make sure that you and your baby are not sleeping in a place that is like up against the wall. There should not be any places that the baby can fall down into, or even up at the headboard. Sometimes there can be space and that can be dangerous. Pillows, you really need to make sure that you're like very careful about that. And then like just minimal blankets, like a sheet or yeah. a very light blanket. And I always try to be really careful about not pulling it up over the baby. So yeah. I remember, you know, so my pillow would be basically kind of the edge of my face. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like up at the edge of my face. And yes, I did the, I don't even know how you, yeah, I don't know. It. Maybe Too bad you guys of, can't see us. Like a, like a, like you're going to throw your shoulder, your arm over somebody. It's like at a right angle, flat on the bed and yeah, you're laying on your side and that's, yeah. that's on the bed spread out. And if and you think about it, it'd be really, really difficult. I would question almost impossible for you. If you have your arm like that to actually roll over onto the baby, like try it, put your arm out and then like, or lay down on your bed and try it. You can't roll on top of the baby if your arm stays like that. And that's, again, feels like also a very natural position because you're kind of cradling the baby a little bit. But I would have that pillow kind of close, like at the very edge of my face so that it would not even go- Like the corners on the corners. Yes, the corners, face. yeah. So that it wouldn't extend past my head, basically, just in case the baby- you know, ended up inching up or something. And then I would have a sheet and it would be, it would be tucked under me. I would be covered up with my blanket and, you know, the baby would be either in like their cozy onesie or their own blanket, you know, Mm -hmm. tucked around them. And you probably were about to maybe get into this, but then your own support. So putting the, like the pillows behind your back. So, so that you're kind of able to lay on your side or lean back just a little bit versus you a little bit of support. Yeah. 
but the other thing is, you know, La Leche League makes, um, I, I, I'm sorry, I just keep bringing that up, but they make a, they actually have a book called Safe Sleep 7 and a lot, all their stuff is research-based. Okay. Same with breastfeeding. And so that could be a really great resource for you, but they also have like a really cool infographic that kind of just reminds you of all of the rules, you know, smoking. I know lots of people do it. And I, I know like new moms and they don't want to have to keep smoking, but they do. And that's like a risk factor, you know, for should never, never, never co-sleep really. If you're not, not breastfeeding. Okay. That really increases the baby's risk a lot. So those are the big things. That's down to the natural chemistry of, of how, (laughs) how our bodies and how we were basically meant to work with our babies. I mean, it just, um, so much of that rings true in a lot of the conversation we've had about how things, you know, how, how our bodies are created and how the baby knows exactly what to do. And if, if given the opportunity, I mean, it's, it, we, we, we were created and the baby's created. So all these things work so perfectly together. So, um, yeah, yeah. But I think that that's, that's like a really important, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Because like in some, some parts of the country, they have these really horrible, like canes, even against bed, bed sharing. And actually in Milwaukee, they had like a really crazy campaign and Dr. McKenna, they asked him, he told them before he even looked at all of the cases that he thought that they were probably formula feeding that that's was, it didn't have anything to do really so much with breastfeeding. And so like, I'm sure you can find an interview with all of that. If you're interested in hearing more about it. I think that that was probably some of the better resources to listen to this in the beginning when, when in the, in the co-sleeping or bed sharing, I felt like that you sent me. And I think you, you kind of touched on this earlier, but we have to be careful on like how how the terms are used and like the categories are put in for maybe some of the statistics, because it does depending on what resources you're looking into, especially if you're coming across or reading a resource that does not recommend bed sharing, a lot of what you're going to see is that all of those statistics for suffocating or whether it was formula fed baby or a mother that was under some kind of influence, they're all lumped into one. And so you're not actually seeing what it looks like for a for a solely breastfed baby to be sleeping with their mother safely in a bed. You're not getting statistics for that. You're getting everything else left into it. So it's really, but Dr. McKenna, I think some of the resources that he points out and that he talks about break that up well so that you can actually see. Um, But I think that's important. It's important for you to understand. And that's important too, because of the people that may be telling you that they're against it. That's that's most likely the information that they're using to support their case. And they don't know. They're just right. going by like, they haven't done the research that you've done. And right. so you can't really be, and, and I think that that's like kind of true in all related breastfeeding things. Like our parents, our grandparents, they have a lot of different rules about breastfeeding. They're like, and and I think too, we have to be really sensitive to them. Yeah. Just like we want to think about how it feels from the baby's perspective. You're, if a mom's not breastfed their baby. And it could be because they tried or they gave formula because that just was what they were told to do. They can feel like there's some judgment. And I think that this goes with all of these things, even now and different, you know, like you were talking about Chelsea's story and like, you know, we have to be really careful when we see moms, you know, if, if you're really passionate about breastfeeding, like what is, we have to be compassionate. Did I say passionate and then compassionate? Cause I'm passionate. 
compassionate, not in the same, not using the same word, <laughs> but we have to be really compassionate about all of this, you know, when, when things are working and when they're not working and like, if a mom really feels strongly, like she doesn't want to bed share, that's totally fine. Yeah, and yeah. and if she decides in, at some point I'm taking my bed, my baby to bed with me, then we need to talk about what is safe. And I think that that's where this whole thing is dangerous is that we just tell people don't do it. And so then like, they don't want to do, they don't want to take their babies to bed. And then they actually end up engaging in more risky behavior and not know. doing it safely. Yeah. And so you know, we really need to change this conversation and say, you know, it's totally fine. If you can lay your baby down and they'll sleep. Awesome. You know, like, and you want to bring them to the breast into your bed, like for a feeding and put them back. If that works for you, go for it. Yeah. You know, like I think yeah. most moms would really like it. If that yeah. was the case. <laughs> I mean, I don't think most moms want to be like attached to the baby a majority of the night. And like, if they had their way, they would prefer not, they would prefer to just get good two or three hours of mm-hmm. sleep. Gosh, but, being able to sleep on your belly for the first time after having baby, it's like, can be a glorious thing. Like, yeah, you know, but that's not, that's not really reality usually. And so we have to kind of be prepared for it. You know, sure. I mean, we have to yeah. be prepared yeah. to make those decisions yeah. and, and do it safe. So yeah. So on the same note of, you know, really having to decide what's really best for you and baby I think what we want to do is round out the episode and also this breastfeeding series and speak to you moms who really struggled and also who haven't maybe started their journey and might find themselves in a place of, of struggling, whether that's just the early days and it's really, really hard, or if you're weeks in or a couple of months in or longer and, and things maybe aren't going exactly as, as you thought or expected or planned, and you have to make some hard decisions I think that this breastfeeding series has been, oh gosh, better than I could have expected because of some of these stories of these women and, and so much of, of motherhood, especially breastfeeding. We talked about adjusting expectations is hearing all this is so incredibly humbling, um, not only from a perspective of this newfound appreciation and just admiration for mothers in general, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. also for yourself, Right. And giving, learning yeah. to give not only yourself grace, but others grace. And so I just, you know, one of my last messages, and then I'll kind of send it over to you, Alicia, is if you really, really want breastfeeding to work, like if you, if this is something that you want to fight for and you want really, really bad, like we've said a million times, just make sure that you get the support you need right away. Don't, don't hesitate on it you know, be proactive about it. If you have heard this episode before baby's coming, you know, and, and, and also know that no one um, gets to make these decisions for you. And right. you do have to do it to your comfort level. I, I know this is something that you were going to say, Alicia, but I'm trying to think of another way to word it. No one is, no one is going to judge you for how long you tried or what you did or what you didn't didn't do. And I think that their stories and we've heard this testimonies are such a great example of that, of everybody's situation is so, is so different. And when we think we know someone's story, we only know a glimpse unless we're asking for it. And so if you need to make a hard decision and you need to do something that's going to be beneficial, not only for your baby, but, but for you, um, and your entire family, um, more, more so than not, 
the women are going to women and the, and the people around you are going to support you and love you still and, and know that you did exactly what you needed to do in that situation. And there should be no shame there, but, um, what do you, what, what else could, would you say, Alicia? Well, I mean, for a lot of moms who are struggling, I think, you know, be kind to yourself, know that you've done what you can do with what you've got and the situation that you're in. And, you know, if you want to continue breastfeeding and you're still struggling, let's have you like reevaluate what breastfeeding looks like. Maybe it doesn't look like exclusively breastfeeding at the breast or exclusively pumping. It can look all kinds of different ways. You can do mixed feeding, you know, like maybe you are, maybe you don't have milk supply or you don't, but your baby still latches. So you say, okay, I just want to be able to enjoy breastfeeding my baby. And so I'm just going to keep nursing my baby as long as they're willing. And if they want to pacify at the breasts, like that's what I'm going to do. And there's no reason not to do that. You know, some people might give you a little bit of pushback about that, but it, it doesn't matter. That's what your baby's made to do. And the baby will, like you said, like think about miles. He was just so happy to be, you're his person <laughs> and, and they just want to be with you and, you know, or do keep doing skin to skin. Like it can look a, a bazillion different ways. Yeah. And this is such a hard decision for each mom, you know, but you need to be proud of your intentions and know like every drop of breast milk counts. I think, you know, sometimes we don't, we don't give ourselves enough credit. I remember, I mean, this is like, just like me, even learning to be kind to myself. I would tell people like, oh, I only breastfed my first baby for four months. So what? Like, I shouldn't say that only I need to like that out and just be proud of that. I breastfed my baby for four months. It could be like, I breastfed my baby one time, like for delivery. And I, I mean, I mean, maybe you didn't enjoy it and that's okay too. Like, you know, it can be whatever it is, but you gave your baby a great start. You did what you wanted to try. And like, you just have to be okay with whatever. And I know that that's that a lot of times that's a mourning process for moms because we have this expectation and like, you know, we hear all these things about like how beautiful it is and it is, but it's not, it's not like something that works out for everybody. And there may be another time that you can try, you know, like, and you may decide you don't ever want to try and that's okay too. You (laughs) know, like, you know, it just is different. You know, when I'm working with moms, I really always want it to be you know, a great story. And it always is a great story because we always learn about ourselves so much from whatever that is. But, you know, like you said, fight to your comfort level. If it's too much, you know, I will say that like to have an expectation that breastfeeding is going to just be like smooth and easy. You're probably looking at at least the first month to still be having a few struggles kind of toward, excuse me, toward the end of that but it shouldn't be anything like maybe at the beginning. And, you know, whether you are feeling like it's just too much physically, it might be too much mentally, just the pressure and all the things that you have to do. And maybe sometimes it's because you have other children that need your help and all of those things. You just have to sit and kind of evaluate what, what do I need? And I think we, we, as, as women, we're not very good about speaking our needs to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe sometimes asking for help, not just about breastfeeding, but like, come bring me some meals, like help me clean my house, those kinds of things. And, you know, formula is there for a reason. Yeah. You know, we have 
sometimes we need to have that and that's okay. You know, so whatever is best for you and your baby, I just, all we want is we want to support you and what that looks like for you and your decision. You're the only one that can make that decision for you and your baby. And, you know, whether it's breastfeeding, whether it's sometimes mixed feedings, whether it's not breastfeeding, we, we really care about you and we want you to have the best thing for you and your family and for your baby. So I love it. I don't think we need to say anything else. I think that's so great. (laughs) So we will have that resource list linked into the show notes and also on the website and also uh, on the Mama Collective Facebook group. And you guys, we are here for you. I'm here. If you just want to send me a message and you just want to tell me about your own story and just have someone to to listen who has Mm -hmm. been through hell and back when it comes to breastfeeding, or if you would like Alicia's help and support because she is an IVCLC and she can help you. Um, She does do virtual consultations. If you are outside of her, her, her area, she can maybe, maybe prenatal consultations might be some of the, the better, Mm -hmm. the better um, fit for some of that if they're outside Indy. But, um, and and I think too, you know, I, one thing we didn't really talk about when it comes to consultations is it can be a really good idea to just, after you have your baby, once you're home, like just have a lactation consultant come Watch. after a day or two and just check in and make sure that you're off to the best start that you can be in, you know, yeah. anyway. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. Yeah. Catching things early, helping you with the adjustments early can make it, make a big difference if you're, if, if you can do that. No, I love that. I think that's great. And and it's really powerful to see somebody in their own environment. Yeah. You know, like, cause yeah, everybody's is a little bit different. Yeah. 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 All right, guys. Well, two mamas here, two sisters rooting you on and sending you so much love and support. And we hope that you love the breastfeeding series. We hope that these episodes have been really, really helpful. Please, 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 please share them. If Share them with expectant mom, share them with just anybody, you know, who would eat some of this information up because it's really valuable information. And I just wish that I could somehow ensure or make it a requirement for, for women to get this kind of information or go to those prenatal classes for breastfeeding, because gosh, I think all of us can can testify that it was just invaluable. So, but anyway, we're here for you and we're sending lots of love and we wish you all the best of luck and the best, best moments with baby. Yes. All right. I think you need a bit like, like, um, find a sound clip of like, <laughs> like, a, just like applause. Like crowd like roaring. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Let's see if I can do that. I know. I'm, I'm, I just like having that in my yeah. head. Oh, like, I, I love it. Doing that. I love it. On a low in the background. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, All right. Fine. Well, you All guys, right. um, I'm sure Miles is ready to see you back and Cameron probably even more. I probably need to go. I love you so much. I love you too. It was fun. Hey mamas, before you peace out, if what you just heard inspired you, made you feel like you've got a new BFF or simply reminded you of another mama, please share this episode or the podcast and be sure to tag me if you share it on social. My hope is to touch as many of you as possible and drive this mama-led movement. If you're with me, and I know that you are, please take a minute and leave a review. Hearing from you makes my heart so happy, and your review could encourage another mama in need to hop on this journey with us. So let's make a pact. 
I'll bring the fire, and in return, you help me strengthen our Mama Collective. So we may together make the transformation from messy to truly inspired. Let's get it, Mama.